Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. Thanks for downloading the show. My name is Susan Kalman. I'm a comedian and this is my podcast, Mrs Brightside, a cheerful take on depression. Yes, comedy and depression. Bit of a weird one, isn't it? The thing is, I like to make misery funny and I think other people feel the same way. And I wanted to make this podcast because I think we should all talk more about our mental health and remove some of the stigma surrounding it. I've invited eight amusing people into a basement in Soho to bear their souls to me. I didn't have any questions. It's not a traditional interview. I just wanted to chat to them about what they thought about their own heads. There's no parameters. There's no definitions. It's just coming from them and me. Today, I'm talking to Sophie Willen. I went through a phase where I dressed up as a cat for ages, an angry cat with kind of emotional problems, which really was just me with the emotional problems. And I was discussing it through this cat... This cat who was allergic to dairy products. It was a really... Oh, Sophie, that sounds like the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Sophie's done a number of quite acclaimed shows about her past, about her personal experiences, about her time in care. And I wanted to speak to her about how it felt to expose herself like that mentally on stage and whether or not she thinks that 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 kind of therapy, because it is therapy at times, helped her get over some of her issues. As a comedian who's done those kind of shows myself, it was it was pretty incredible to talk to someone in a similar situation. And I think I think you'll really like it. We're not in it now, are we? Yeah, we're, 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 we're recording now. Right? We <laughs> I mean, I like to play out the bit where people yeah. don't know that it's actually started. In my um, basement yep. today, yep. Sophie Billen. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> I thought you were talking to me. I was talking oh, to hello. you. I was talking to people at home and you at yeah. the same time. It's a three-way conversation. Yep, it's lovely that, isn't it? Hello, where the people. third person is invisible. Yeah, third persons. Persons. Yeah. yeah. Um, please. Introduce yourself to the one person listening to the podcast at this time. (laughs) Uh, My name's Sophie Willen. I'm a comedian, a writer, performer. Um, I do a lot of sort of shows, I suppose, I'm sort of autobiographical shows around my experience of, you know, mental health, class, welfare, shaming, lots of sort of stuff like that, really. But they are funny. Yes. Even though that doesn't sound funny. Um, (laughs) So yeah, that's it really. I'm currently I've just done two Edinburgh's back to back Edinburgh festivals and I'm taking a year off, which I cannot wait to do actually. I the, feel a bit smug when I see people say they're going up again. They have this stir in they their have eyes. A, a, the the glaze yeah. of someone who knows what's about to happen yeah. to them. And it's a mid distant stir, isn't but it? But they can't stop it because they've said they're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And they know it's going to destroy them. Mm. But their agents have said this is going to be good for you. <laughs> and it never is. It's it never, never good. Is. No, it's never, never good, good for your mental health. You never come away feeling great. I don't no one ever goes to the fringe 
in August and comes away thinking, God, I was really depressed before I went and now I feel amazing. <laughs> it's not something it's that so happens. true. Now, um, every time you go up, you see people and they can't look you in the eye. Yeah. They're just looking over your head like they've been to war. Like, you know, when Marines come back from war, they've seen too much. They're just like, you know. <laughs> It's quite frightening, isn't it? It's absolutely true. And you see yourself doing it. Sometimes my wife says, "What happened?" You know, and I go, "I can't talk about it. I can't. I can't tell you what happened at the fringe. It's too much. One day I'll talk, tell you about it, but not now." Um, One of the reasons uh, we're doing this, yeah, I've written about mental health, depression, Mm. anxiety. Um, I think it's both good to do it generally for my own head, yeah, but also good just to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but I came upon the process of writing autobiographical shows much later. Because right. I started far before you did. And I was still doing, here's some jokes, please put me on Live oh, at the did Apollo. You do that? Okay. Oh, oh, yeah, they were terrible, Sophie. Really? Oh, they were awful. God, I'd love to hear them actually. Oh, no, they were awful <laughs> shows. My first three shows, three or four shows at the fringe, were. So, what was the switch for you then? What? Disastrous year mm-hmm. at the underbelly. Right. Fairly well attended, but I hated the show. Yeah, yeah. And I hated Which me, is worse. And I hated everything about it. Yeah. So I took a year off and went back with a show in a much smaller venue. And I thought, well, at least if I'm going to go go down, I'll go down in flames that I enjoy. Yeah. And so and I wrote so a show important. about equal marriage. I remember I've heard some of that material because I, I heard your audio... Yes. Series. Convictions, Convictions. which I loved. So yeah. that was one of kind of the basis mm. of that series. And I suddenly realised that that was the kind of thing I wanted to do. So it all kicked off from there then, really? All from there. And just from kind of being authentic and saying, this is what I want to do and being vulnerable, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I was trying yeah. to be a jokey, joke, joke comedian. Mm, doesn't and work. I'm not. No, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I actually spent years doing theatre, which I felt wasn't really quite the right fit for me because I always ended up being a funny human by accident and then people just think you're not taking it seriously. I went through a phase where I dressed up as a cat for ages, an angry cat with kind of emotional problems, which really was just me with the emotional problems. (laughs) And I was discussing it through this cat, this cat who was allergic (laughs) to dairy products. It was a really... Well, Sophie, that sounds like the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I did enjoy it. I must say, and I did a rap, and it was called Reasons to be Angry, you know, like Reasons to be Cheerful. And it was this angry rap, and I was in cat ears and a full cat face going... Scraping a knife on a, striking, scraping a metal spoon on a non-stick wok. <laughs> Reasons to be angry. And then obviously I had a sort of breakdown after that, but he was going towards that. Yeah. I think that's the best thing I've ever heard mm. in my entire life. I did enjoy it, but it wasn't really what I was supposed to say. <laughs> no. <I> sp- <laughs> and so yeah. after you did the theatre stuff, yeah, stand-up is... It's a curious thing, stand-up. Mm. I, I think if, the fringe is awful, oh, but yeah. we are very privileged to be given 55 minutes to talk about yes, whatever God, we want yeah. to. Yeah. And I think, for me, that was the breakthrough, was the, those full-length shows. Yeah. So when you were starting to write that first one, which was a breakthrough, your first show was a real breakthrough show for you. It did incredibly well. Yeah, it was good. And it was about something very important. I think the reason I wrote that is because the year before I'd gone to the Edinburgh Festival with a a theatre comedy show that had been commissioned on a rural touring scheme called The Novice Detective, very bad title. It was sort of commissioned for 14 pluses 
and it was an autobiographical story about meeting my father and finding him but it was very slapstick I had a magnifying glass I came on to Pink Panther music it was quite daft anyway I, I, I met a producer who said you should programme it under stand-up which was the worst decision for that show because obviously it was not this cutting-edge stand-up show I walked on with a magnifying glass to Pink Panther so it went really well with audiences because they knew it was a family show Obviously, critically, it went horrific. So I had this horrible Edinburgh. And in my personal life, I was going through quite a lot and just kind of working out myself, going through therapy. I'd kind of lost a lot of my friends at that period of time. So actually, the, the show I started writing came actually out of shame, really. I started thinking, I wrote a list of all the things that I hated about myself the most, I was most ashamed of. And then when I sort of traced them back, it, it all came quite close to the stuff that was in my records because I had records back from social services. So, you know, being rebellious or defiant or rude or, you know, getting in trouble or having no boundaries or, you know, drinking too much and having no boundaries or, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. So the show was kind of an explanation of, of, of who I was and kind of reclaiming of who I was, you know, and that was what that show was. And it, so it came through kind of, I suppose, depression and shame, really. That first show, but it was an honest conversation. That was the personal side of it. The, the more political side was just that I was getting really angry with the kind of, you know, welfare shaming that was happening and mm -hmm. thinking about people like my mum and, you know, just thinking about all that negativity, you know. I, I, I find sometimes it is easier to say things to an audience than I would to uh, mm -hmm. friends or family. There's something, and it's something tremendously freeing, I think, about sharing a secret with people you don't know yeah. and will probably never see again. Even more than, because I found therapy sometimes quite difficult. Yeah, yeah. It Whereas is a actually process. comedy, comedy was quite life-saving for me in terms of expressing myself. Yeah, it is because it's like a positive reclaiming of yourself, isn't it? Like you're taking control of and harnessing them as opposed to just letting them, you know, be out of control, mm -hmm. you know, which I, I found that really helpful when I wrote the On Record because I talked about not, you know, how I struggle with boundaries and understanding, you know, which was something I struggled to accept in myself, actually. But when I did the show, I sort of accepted it more because, you know, I pulled up records from my social service records and go, you know, is it any surprise I struggle with boundaries? And then I'd show these quite, sometimes quite dark records but also quite fun in a funny way because I think I'm an optimistic person you know so in the show that you did and mm. in case people don't know about it or haven't seen it you on on stage were showing genuine genuine records from my social service records so it was called on record and it was about getting my records back I talked about because I got them back when I was 23 I met the social worker at a train station and she gave me these records just handed me to, handed them to me a very odd experience because I wasn't actually expecting the records. I'd actually met her to get a letter of support for, so I could go to university as a mature student as, for the Curly Verbursary. Anyway, she gave me these records in a plastic bag on Platform 4. I went home, I read them all. Couldn't believe it. it was mad reading all these things about yourself. But I was only 23, so I didn't really deal with it. I didn't realise it had affected me. I cried in the moment. Then I thought it was fine. Then I kind of went into quite a dip of depression, really. And didn't think about those records for quite a few years. And then actually after I'd done lots of therapy and lots of different things, around the time that I was writing my show, it came up in conversation with an artist. And he said, would you be interested in bringing your, your records and letting me read them? 
records. And I said, actually, yeah. And it was really cathartic for me to share my records with another art, with another one other human, one. In those initial stages, it was an amazing thing for him to ask to read my notes because it was within the constructs of it being an artistic process. So it didn't feel too navel-gazing. Obviously mm-hmm. it was, you yes. know. Yes. But it gave it that structure, you know. And then what I did after that is I decided, actually, I'm going to use my records in my show. So all the bits of material I'd already written in stand-up over that period of time, you know, a lot of it was about my mum and stuff like that and all the things that I wanted to actually start telling the world about myself rather than hiding away. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd been doing in stand-up for a while and I thought, well, actually, these records give a really good structure to that um, story, really. When um, there's a very interesting thing of taking something that's painful mm-hmm. uh, that causes depression, or I mean, a lot of my depression is a lack of self confidence, mm. complete lack of self confidence, and it's a strange thing to say. How can I make this funny? Because we're we're writing comedy shows. It's not a yeah yeah we're we're, we're stand ups yeah. So we wanted to talk about something and make it funny, and I I, I found that quite an interesting thing of. Sometimes when I would write what I did, I, it would make me laugh because I was so peculiar. Yeah. That when you actually yeah. say your behaviours out loud and people simply laugh, you go, oh, right, okay, yeah, sure, sure. That is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Even though you've been yeah. for years going, this is normal. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. Um, but also just thinking about how to make it funny made me think about the subject but in a slightly detached way. Yeah. So I could think about really painful things. But you're detached. But detached from it because you're thinking, well, how can I make this not palatable, but how can I make it funny for people? Yeah. Yeah, it's so true, that, isn't it? And that's why when people say, is it like therapy on stage? It it does irritate me, that. Because I always think, probably quite defensive, no, this is a show. You know, I'm making a show. Mm -hmm. How do you? This isn't therapy, I'm doing a show. But obviously it probably is on some level, but... Actually, you know, is that objectivity from your experience? Yes. And also just the idea of actually you're using your experience to make a wider point, aren't you, usually, about different things? You How know? did you feel? I found it it's a curious thing, speaking to lots of people who do very personal, confessional, if you like, mm. shows, um, that I would I irritated myself after a while. Mm. Because I was talking about being depressed and stuff. You get annoyed with your navel gazing. Jesus Christ. I am, I'm bored of myself now. Yeah. Actually, after two shows back to back, I want a break. And also so retrospective, it's all about childhood or it's about, you know, who I was, identity and, you know, I'm I'm really bored of it now. Mm I think it's good to do, isn't it? But then also yeah. good to move on, you know, well, I think into other yeah, areas. What's really interesting is the act of doing those shows, mm. the act of writing the, the book about depression has changed me. Because I now look back on things I said, even three years ago, and I think I've, I've, the act of confessing mm-hmm. has changed me right. in a very positive yeah. way. Um, so I'm glad I did it, but I also... I'm also glad I don't necessarily talk do those shows anymore. Yeah, because yeah. I, I really, I'm not the whining. The it is moaning. you do get a bit whiny, don't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, oh. it's sad all the time. No one loves me. <laughs> <laughs> it is like that, then, yeah. too. You just get a bit. I mean, I've had it with these two shows back to back now, especially because they're very personal. You know, the last one I talked to about being a sex worker and stuff, which again, fine, but you're like, God, are we here again? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> And at the end of the show, you know, it's like, oh, the moment where you say, you know, I will refuse to be shoved into a single narrative, you know, and it's all like earnest and, mm-hmm. 
you know, you have to laugh because you just irritate yourself. You know, yeah. It's just like, it's, you know, it's all good to do, isn't it? But it's like it to keep doing it. I suppose it's the, it, it, if it goes well, it's a really positive thing. But actually then you have to keep navel-gazing mm-hmm. about the same thing you were talking about six months ago, which actually you've moved on a bit from that now. I think, I think what was really interesting was when I took a show that was written mm. for the Fringe, as you say, you start off and then you've got a brilliant denouement at the end yeah. where you have a revelation <laughs> of something that happens because yeah. that's what you do at the Fringe. Um, it's not a disrespect. Yeah. I'm pulling back the curtain. That's what we do. There has yeah. to be something at the end that makes the audience go, <gasps> go out and tour to regional art centres where you're doing two 45 minutes and there isn't that feeling of the Fringe. It's quite different, and that's where, when I was on tour, my show about depression depressed me. Well, I didn't find that on tour, because I, I felt they responded well, but I've never done two shows back-to-back like that. Hmm. But what I do find is I'm just very bored of my own voice when I'm on tour, because there's only so many times you can say the same thing and mean it, isn't there? Do you know what I mean? It's like, fucking Ali, you are again, <laughs> moaning about your mother, you know? It's just like, you know, you feel like you're in the same therapy session and you're touring uh-huh. it. Yes. It's like, you yes. know, right, who are we getting out to? Oh, the mum. Right, brilliant. Let's do it. You know, it's like, you know, you just get fed up with yourself. So it, It's it's uh, it, it's a strange thing because also sometimes when I would talk about yeah. lack of self-confidence is a very curious thing. Do you suffer from a lack of yeah. self-confidence? Yeah. I think most comedians do, don't I think they? most of us And there's do. the sociopathic bunch of, well, I think there's the... My favourite bunch. The fascinating, the yeah. sociopathically confident ones, mm-hmm. and then you've got the rest of us are like this bubble of insecurity, and it's like split between these two groups. I find them fascinating. The ones who are... The sociopathic lot. Amazing. Unbelievably confident. Unbelievably confident. They mm-hmm. would never get anxious. Nothing phases them. You know, they can just sit on a panel show, not even twitch. Yeah. You know, it's just like a completely different kettle of fish, isn't it? And they are genuinely confident as opposed to the yeah. rest of us who pretend to be confident. Yes, you see the difference. There's mostly in green rooms where mm. there's usually a bunch of very uh, shy extroverts there. Yeah. And then over there are some very, very sociopathic boys generally yes I don't think I know any women who are I think there's women who are maybe on that spectrum a little bit but maybe not as much yeah as the men the men are just like you know you can see by the way they start they just there's yeah. a confidence isn't yeah. it it's just different I am um, I always remember this comedian is not one of those sociopaths we're talking about yeah I just want to make that clear before anyone thinks I'm currently talking about one of those arrogant sociopaths um, the wonderful Kevin Bridges mm. right what Kevin does is fascinating. Right. When he walks on stage, he does a brilliant thing. He walks, I know this is a podcast, so I'll try and describe. Kevin walks on stage and everyone claps because they shoot because he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And Kevin just raises his hands and goes, Yeah, it's me. Yeah. And it's the most relaxed, like he's walking beautiful, to a pub to absolutely. Yeah. And he is just there. Yeah. And it's the most confident but relaxed, gorgeous entrance. Yeah, that is a good entrance. And I, I always look at how comedians come on stage. I think it's really, it says a lot, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Especially with like bigger performances. I just did that gala in Australia. Mm. It's like the 3000 seater. And I noticed that I'd lost my ear and my neck because my shoulders Cause got, were up yeah. at my earlobes, mm-hmm. you know, by the end. But, 
there's just a way, isn't there, of coming on with confidence. David O'Doherty was on just before me and he just didn't give a shit, obviously, because he does this all the time. Yeah. He was just so confident and relaxed and he just said, don't worry about it. Also, he's not one of the sociopaths. No, do, just, no, we're not. The men we now name in this podcast yeah. are not the sociopaths. It's no. very important that you know that. Yeah. Um, my voice goes higher. Oh, yeah, that's what, that's what <laughs> my wife always knows. Yeah. In the second episode, second or third episode of my first Radio 4 show, it starts off, so the first episode, where it was a show, I was quite going, hi, my name is Susan Kalman and I've got a lot of convictions. And in about the third episode, it was, oh, I'm Susan Kalman, but I've got lots of convictions. And it's clear I'm shitting myself. Yeah, it's interesting. You can hear it on yourself or mm-hmm. people who love you. Mm-hmm. Mine is, the voice goes really high, the shoulders go up to the earlobes, and it's all uh-huh. just a bit manic, really. Yeah. I think uh, watching people come out, it's very, I always start, I, I always start my fringe shows on stage while the audience come in. That's so nice. I don't need to make that entrance. Yeah, do you do announcements backstage? I can't bear those. I stand on stage and do my own announcements. <laughs> and it was partly because the rumour was in Last About of the Fringe only had one door. So I kind of had to be, and I didn't want to hide in the wings. And it's horrible hiding in the wings. Like that, like it, kind yeah. of, so I thought, I'll just be on stage when they come in. It's quite nice yeah. and relaxed. Isn't yeah, it? it is quite nice and relaxed. And um, it meant that I didn't need to think about how I did that. I find that first entrance very difficult. Yeah, well, I, I've done it with that classic uh, shy extrovert thing. When I come on and often do a tit shake and really go... A bit wild, so I mince through the audience, tit shit the front row, twerk. I mean, if you want to talk about shy extrovert, that is, it's in a nutshell, isn't it? But don't you think that's the reasons why sometimes when we talk about self-confidence and mental health, people don't necessarily believe we're telling the truth? No, that's true, yeah. Because if you see me on stage, I am everything I wish I was. I'm people flirtatious, I'm confident, yeah. I am whatever. Yeah. And then people come up to me after the show and I'm... Standing at the bar. Yeah. And they can't understand why I'm not the person they saw on stage. I know that is a weird thing, isn't it? People think they know who you are completely because they see a version of you and they're kind of disappointed when they see you off stage. But it's a version. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely wish I was that person. Mm. That's the person who doesn't have insecurities. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I think you can be both, can't you? I mean, yes. you, you are. we are both, aren't we? It's a... It's a but I suppose it's just people want it more simple, don't they? Mm. You know, they would rather it just be simple. They don't want all the other weird stuff that comes with it. Yeah. You know, most environments, people are desperately trying to hide that they're mental. Yes. Whereas in comedy circles, everybody is quite open about the things, that the, the skewed perspective that they have on the world and, you know. At the Fringe, I've spent a, a number of times, you know when someone cries in public and you protect them? Mm. So you take them away, especially yeah. in public. You don't want people seeing. The amount of times I've gently removed people because <laughs> it is a place where you see someone and you'll start crying. Yeah. Because yeah. you know that they know what's happening and Edinburgh how terrible Festival. it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's a very straight, it's a very emotional thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge, are you an emotional person? I am very emotional. I struggle to sort of get out of my emotions, actually. That's... When I did my therapy, that's what they taught me is like mindfulness and stuff. But if I'm under stress, I really struggle to not be an emotion and live in that emotion and not kind of be taken over by that emotion. So it's quite a sort of, 
you know, intense way to live your life, really. It means the good is great, you know, but it just means, like, the lows can be like, oh, your anger or whatever emotion it is, I'm really not very good at, you know, moving past it, really. As well as depression, I'm blessed, Sophie, with anxiety. <laughs> About everything. Mm. I mean, everything, and I become... I'm, I, I'm, I, I have control issues. Mm-hmm. I kind of need to know when everything's happening, when it's happening, what I'm going to be doing, what I'll be eating, where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. And I, which is I, hard for a comedian. Very isn't it? hard. Because that's just hard. not what it offers, is it? Really often, is it makes me feel safe if I know what's happening because yeah. then nothing unexpected is going to happen yeah, to yeah. me. And it's by nature of our job, as you say, in a way, it's the worst possible job. For that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really difficult for that, isn't it? You would have hated being on the, a long-haul flight that I was on the other day then because, you know, it's that control. You've got no control over when you land, you know, nothing. You can't control the internet. You want internet, you freak out, you've no internet. You know it's pathetic that you want internet up in the air, but, you, you know, it's just that whole... You can't control your space. It's a really weird thing, actually. I mm. will never go to Australia. <laughs> Never. Yeah, yeah, I can understand. 20 hours? Is it about 20? 22 hours in the air. Not a chance. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go to Belfast from Glasgow for <laughs> just 25 minutes. Really? Gosh. I got the ferry. <laughs> I got, I spent five hours getting the ferry. So do you not fly then, but you prefer, you can do water, but not above water? Yeah. 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 Um, I, the older I get, it's a very strange thing, Sophie. When I was younger, I tried to commit suicide mm. and I wanted to die. And the older I get now, the less I want to die. It's, I'm frightened of dying now. That happens, doesn't it? Yeah. I, when I was a teenager, I had no care for my life at all. You know, one, you think you're immortal, don't you? So I remember riding on quads, riding a quad pissed round a cliff in Greece. And I just think, fucking hell, every time I get in a car now, I'm putting my seatbelt on, I'm frightened. You know, what happened? You know, I, don't, I, I think it's a lovely thing because it means I, I am well. It means I am now well in many yeah. ways that I care about the fact that mm. I want to stay alive. Whereas when I was at my most depressed, I didn't care whether yeah. or not I was alive. So I know I'm well. But it also means I've got a whole new cornucopia of anxiety mm. well I'm an anxious person I mean yeah. I think about death very often like every other day you know oh god you know it's just anxiety is horrific isn't it because it comes in so many different forms and attacks you from all angles you know you don't have a choice do you? it's like you know you don't know which angle it's coming in from every day you know whether it's social anxiety or whether it's mortality or whether it's work or whether it's just routine you know it's like Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Yeah, can come from different angles. So. And I think... I mean, it's one of those things when I get when I become very anxious. It's a physical thing. It's, it mm. becomes a physical. You're talking about your shoulders going up, and I you can, feel the can, chemical, yeah, pulsing you, through you. You can you can feel it. Yeah, the tension, and I know I, I know it's happening, and I I just I you feel, and it is. It's kind of fight or flight. It's just it's your body. Hating itself. It is a in fight a lot of and flight. Yeah, because it, it's like your body's going into survival mode, and sometimes you don't know why. It's like having two liters of very strong coffee, and you don't know why because you really feel that physical. It's like a cortisone, isn't it? Hormone yeah. or something that's like a stress, or that your body's gone into that survival mode. I had hypnotherapy to try and get on planes mm. because. Uh, I'm not saying my wife threatened to leave me, but there was a suggestion that if we didn't go on holiday, there might be an issue. So I uh, went to see a hypnotherapist and uh, absolutely fine. Have you ever had hypnotherapy? I have. It didn't work for me. Okay. Fascinating. Right. I'm a suggestible human being. So I knew, I kind of thought this might work. I'm so suggestible. I swear. Yeah. yeah. Um, It was Doug Segal, who does shows at the French, came round to my house. My wife was there because you're you're meant to have someone safe in the room so that you're not frightened. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, this is probably not going to work, Doug." <laughs> five seconds later, complete gone under. Really, like that's that. amazing. I mean, you know, he didn't even get to five. God, I was under for about fifty-five minutes. It felt like you know five seconds. Yeah. Anyway, he spoke to my subconscious because the point about my anxieties, of which I have many, is that my body's fight or flight instinct has overtaken my brain. Yeah. My my brain is trying to protect me so much that I am no longer having any fun. Yep. That's exactly what happens to me. That's the survival mode, isn't it? I did CBT and they traced it down. She did diagrams. Actually, she she actually wrote up all these diagrams and one of them was about me being like over-controlling and they irritated me so much because they were so messy. I went home and typed them up, <laughs> which is such a sign of over-controlling, isn't it? You know? And then I came back with a graph and it was all neatly and, and she was like, good graph, not good progress. <laughs> no, no. Not really. But at least I knew. That's, yes. a, that's a sign, isn't it? I could see. Well, I still did the graph anyway, but I was aware. I often... I often wonder if self-awareness makes it worse. It can do. Because I know yeah. I'm about to be a dick. Yeah, it doesn't help, does it? No, <laughs> doesn't stop it happening. No. You know, when I am when I have no self when I'm being irrational, I hate my irrational side. Yeah. That paranoia and lack of, I hate that. I yeah, hate the irrational. Yeah, it's hard to get control of it, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what, did you do... Did you ever do CBT? And... It was the, it's the most helpful thing I've ever done. Yeah, me too, actually, because you get to the root of where it comes from, mm-hmm. don't you? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that helps. I suppose it's good to know, isn't it? And you know, and then compassionate mind and all those sorts of things can can be quite helpful when you're in the right place. For me, at the moment, my mental health has spiralled because I've just um, been sort of homeless for a few months. I came out of a long term relationship, and then found myself with no base or home, which was just very stressful for a person like me. Mm-hmm. Base and sort of having a safe hovel that yes. I can be retreating to is really important. I think it is for everybody. I, I but, think, though, it's a, actually a fairly common theme in a number of people I've spoken to, yeah. and for me, yeah. having a place... Yep, having that safe base... 
is hugely important. Mm, and when you lose that, everything, because I've, you know, in my safe space, I would have it nice and tidy. I'd have my own desk. I wouldn't let people stay really often. It, it would be at Christmas. You know, I'd have my friends over, but that would be it, really. Or every now and again, but I actually liked, you know, just my structure and not having anything I couldn't control come into my space. When I moved to London, I ended up in these house shows, some with friends, but I couldn't control when they were going to turn up in my room at, you know, or when they were going to decide to cook sushi in the middle of the night or, you know, all these things for me, just I cannot cope with that kind of lack of structure. It, 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 it rocks my balance. Yes. You know, and then on top of that, you know, just the stress of kind of moving and not having that security, you know, so that, that spirals me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sends all the anxieties mad because you don't have this place to send to yourself and, you know, be able to be compassionate to yourself or give yourself that rest that mm-hmm. you need or, you know, take yourself out of situations and just hide away for a bit or read a book or watch a film or, um, you know. But we've moved house recently, but we had a, mm. we lived in the same flat for 15 years. Mm. Do you know how many people stayed overnight in my flat in 15 years? How many? One. Mm. For one night. Yeah. Sarah Millican. Yeah, it's enough, isn't it? That was it. Yeah. She was lovely. She was lovely. And uh, a friend of mine said they wanted to... Fair enough. They were coming to Glasgow and could they stay in my house? And I went, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't like people. I don't like people staying in my house. No, and I don't. And mind, it's like, not because I'm a selfish person. No, it's not. It's just about the the. You can't. It's just too much in your safe space, isn't it? Where yes. you keep yourself centered. If you're yes. a person with anxiety, you need that really strong center. And there's certain things I need to be kind to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like a bedtime. You know, like I can't have laptops in the bedroom often after a certain time because it overstimulates me. And then I'm off. Mm-hmm. You know, I need a space where I walk in and it's like clean and tidy. Mm-hmm. You know, a desk so I can do my writing and I feel I've got and and having people pop up. You know, there's a house that I lived in. It's full of comedians, all lovely people, but people would just turn up. You know, comedians that didn't live there mm-hmm. but were friends with us all would just rock up and hey, let's have a drink. Oh, hey, nice to see you. We, I'm just going to sit on the end of your bed and have a chat for an hour. I can't cope with that, Susan. I'm no. not that relaxed. No. I'm not that chilled kind of human. I like the fact that I go home and I shut my door. Yeah. And and then you no get yourself, there. yeah. And it's 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 very important that I get home. Mm. It feels like I reach it feel, almost feels like I mentally recharge. It fills me back up with some happiness. Yeah. And that's not just about my wife and my cat. That's just about it's funny but you see about four or five years ago, I, I realised I needed to take responsibility for my own mental yeah. health. So I started doing some boxing and weightlifting and stopped drinking mm-hmm. as much. And and in terms of my study, cleaning it, yeah, clean spaces, clean lines, Absolutely. less clutter really makes a difference, doesn't it? It really does. Like tidy house, tidy mind, really, really true for me. You just feel happy. It's like those small moments of joy that you get when you have a cup of tea in your living room and it's nice mm. and clear and you can see the sky outside, like small things like that for people who are quite anxious mean the world, I think, you know, because it's that creating that stillness and that joy that often when you're sort of, you know, all over the place, you don't get, you know, you need to kind of have those moments. A Sunday you know. afternoon in a clean living room watching a Poirot. Yes, 
love Poirot, my favourite. A, a middle Detectives. of the road crime drama. Absolutely. Murder, She Wrote. Oh, I, I, I actually it. have the box set of Murder, She Wrote of every single series. And I think I bought that through anxiety. But, you know, just it's just a lovely, calm, homely sitcom. And it's it's certain, though. This is yeah. what I like. Because I was writing about that the other day, about why I love Agatha Christie, Murder, yeah. She Wrote. It's certain. Nothing will be unresolved. Yep, that's very true. Something will happen. The conclusion will occur. It will end. Mm. It is a certain one and a half hour, 55 minutes. And that's why it's reassuring and sa- it's safe. To me, it it's safe. safe. Yeah, it's safe. And I think it's the time it was on. Mm. So it's always on in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, you're either at home ill with your grandma or I was skiving off with my boyfriend, whatever. But it was that comfy afternoon thing you'd ever do then I think it must just trigger that mm-hmm. that feeling of comfort and safety that you you know because you'd watch it in the daytime when you were a child or, yes it, you know my granny would look after me in front of her gas fire yeah. she would turn up to 500 degrees <laughs> and we would sit sweating watching yeah. Murder She Wrote or something like that yeah. yeah in terms of I I think CBT was very helpful mm. to me I'm constantly saying to people if you've been to therapy and it hasn't worked it might not be the right therapist yes because I agree. They're, they're all very different I had some disastrous therapy yeah problems did you oh yeah yeah they're horrible when they go wrong I've had a few took me ages to find the right therapist and actually you know it's a bit like finding a partner isn't it because mm-hmm. you just want them to like you as a person and laugh at your jokes actually Mm-hmm. You know, which actually a lot of therapists wouldn't, they dehumanise you. Then I found this one therapist who would laugh at my jokes. I thought, brilliant. You know, because she sees me as a human, she finds me funny, mm-hmm. which is part of the battle, actually. You know, it's not just about them kind of analysing you and stuff. It was For me, it was about being treated like a human being, you know, which I think a lot of therapists, they absolutely sociopathically yes. dehumanise you. It's, you know, it... you're just a sort of... <sighs> number or a case study to yes. them, aren't you? And the solution to uh, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, etc., is there, there isn't a solution. There are no. there are a number of different solutions, and that's the thing. Um, depression can be so many different things, and how you get on top of it yep. is a combination. CBT really helped because it was trying to get to the root of why I hate myself. Mm-hmm. And trying to stop the, you know, when you're talking about the spiraling and the triggering. Yeah. What are the triggers? What what, are the how triggers? do you exit those triggers? Is the key. Yes. Yeah. And so, at what points would I start feeling that horrible feeling of this is about to, yeah, I'm about to slide into a despair. <clears throat> and that's the kind of thing it does, isn't it? It helps you identify those triggers so you can stop them, lessen them, those kind of things. And also know that when you're having a bad patch, you're aware of it and you know it's a patch and there's certain things you need to do, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe you've forgotten. Like for me, having a home or, you know, creating exit strategies, you know, like being compassionate to yourself and going, right, OK, well, what would I do? These negative feelings I'm having or what I'm saying to myself about how I behaved on that day or whatever I'm beating myself up about. Actually, you know, if that was my friend or if that was just a girl who I didn't know, would I be so harsh to her? Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking at yourself from the perspective of somebody else and just trying to not be as harsh, your judgments being so harsh on yourself, you know. Trying to be kind to yourself is quite a difficult thing, though. It is difficult. It does help, I find, when you go... Actually, imagine if my other friend had done that. I'd just think, oh, it's nothing. Oh, do you know what I mean? It's yes. The, 
it does help to put it on somebody else and see it, you know, get them to wear what you've done or whatever. Because often the things you get anxious about are just such small, you know, tiny, small things. Mm-hmm. You know, they're nothing that you'll forget about in a couple of days. Or I think you know. it's sometimes uh, one of the things that my wife appreciated most of all was when I said that I was selfish because I had depression. Mm. people who are depressed are often very selfish mm. I wouldn't ask her a single question about her job yeah, because I was so sad all the time yeah. well it just makes you so it makes you so closed in and what it also means is when I have those anxiety dreams at four in the morning about something I said 20 years ago to someone in a pub yeah. <laughs> I'm being arrogant because I yeah. think they've remembered oh yeah there's all that I mean but then again that's another harsh judgement on yourself yeah. that doesn't help nope yeah <laughs> you know you know, it's just that though isn't it? and it's like actually that's not kind either that just gives you more sort of stress doesn't yes, it yes it does you I mean know. I think we're, I, I, I have been depressed for as long as I can remember uh, are you one of the cool kids I, I think for me, it's hard to say because my whole family suffer with like a lot of mental health issues, right. like manic depression, depression, schizophrenia, psychosis or whatever. My mum has drug-induced psychosis. Mm-hmm. My uncle Malcolm, psychosis. Because so, my, tr- my childhood was quite... It was an anxiety-riddled childhood, watching a lot of mental health unravel around you you know my grandmother I went to live with love my grandmother she's sort of wonderful and eccentric but you know she I think suffered with depression but probably never diagnosed it so you know she had a few breakdowns thought she was related to Jesus for a while you know the classic stuff you know so it's hard to say about depression I know that I've had periods where I have undeniably been you know severely depressed where I couldn't move you know, you have, you have it paralysing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Depression. And I know that I have that a little bit now and again now. And I think I am I am probably... I, I think I hate labelling myself as depressed or a yeah. person who suffers with it because I think because for me it has a lot of connotations with my family and stuff. I mean, that's, that's interesting though because I come from a family where... Look, I'm sure people were depressed. Mm. But, my God, you never said it and you never talked no. about it. And it wasn't something that was... A, it wasn't. No. And your family circumstance is different and I can understand why having... Mm. I can see what you mean. Walking into... When I had my first therapy session and it said mental health Mm. centre, I remember going in and having a panic attack and absolutely just crying my eyes because I thought, God, how have I ended up here like the rest of us? And just that fear of mental health. And, you know, that was one thing I talked about in my therapy, actually, and in the show eventually, because there's so much taboo around mental health because I had so much of it in the family... And then so many people not wanting to talk about it in the family. We all, I think, were secretly terrified of going mental. So this kind of fear around mental health became huge. And I think even though I've got rid of a lot of that stigma, you know, by writing shows about it and talking to you or, you know, whatever, talking publicly about it, there's still probably within me that a bit of stigma about it. So I don't tend to like to put those things on, but I know that I do suffer with anxiety and depression and they are kind of very much linked aren't they do you know what it became very obvious to me Sophie um, I, I I had to get life insurance because mm. we bought a house we can't afford and so we thought we better get some life insurance <laughs> yeah. and so I was at my accountant's because the insurance yeah. person was there and we thought we'll just go through the forms just now blah 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 name how have you ever smoked yes yep. I used to but I don't anymore blah 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 and then it got to the section of mental health and the nice lady was saying, have you ever been depressed? And I went, yep. 
have you ever attempted suicide? And I was like, right, we have to stop now. Mm-hmm. Because whilst I've written a book about it, whilst I've written shows about it, I am frightened yeah. of this exchange mm. because of the stigma I feel. No one was making me yeah. feel that, but I felt it at that point. Yeah. And it's, you're no hero in that moment, are you? No. If you write a show about it, you make loads of jokes about it, you're a, you're a hero. When it's written down on some paper, some clinical form to discuss you know, whether you're a good citizen or you're worthy of this money or whatever it is, it feels worse, doesn't it? I mean, I remember when I got my files back, the first thing they do is they do a psychological assessment of you when you go for therapy, don't they, with the NHS? Yeah. You know, and you get it back and it's the most clinical sort of, there's none of your personality in it, you know, the things that make you wonderful or fabulous or, you know what I mean? It's just what's happened to you and what your problems are as a result. You know, it was a very curious thing because it made me. It was. It, I I don't have a lot of blips because uh, mm. I'm much better than I used to be. Yeah, but that gave me a huge fright because I also yeah. then went. Well, I've ruined my fucking life, haven't I? Even 25 years after being hugely depressed, but being fine now, I'm yeah. having to fill in a form where I might not get life insurance because I was yeah. once depressed. Yeah. And then obviously that triggers that whole "I fucked it up" yeah. anxiety, which yeah, is absolutely the killer in there. That's a real killer. That I so fucked it up. Even me. Hugely confident mm. stand-up comedian with a book had a horrific flashback yeah. because I thought, and I couldn't lie about it because I've written a fucking book about it, <laughs> Sophie. I can't yeah. say in a life insurance form, no, I've never no, been I've depressed. Never. Yeah, yeah. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It's, it's horrible when it's, you know, you, you haven't got all the other side of it and it's just those very basic, you know, on the form, very clinical. And you're right, you because when, we, when I talk about it on stage, I'm in control. Mm-hmm. I tell you what I want to tell you about this situation. And you lighten it up, don't yeah. you? Make it funny and, yeah. you know, it's not as like, ooh, you know. It's a and vi- you do it in yeah. response to the stigma from forms like this, don't you? Yeah. And actually to reclaim it on stage. But to go back to those forms doesn't necessarily make it any easier, you know, I, to go back to the society. It was societal. an astonishing thing to get life insurance at 43 that yeah. I had to go through four pages of discussion about something that happened to me when I was 15, 16 15, years yeah. old. It was, it was terrifying, actually. Mm. It was absolutely terrifying. It's horrible, isn't it? That's what happens to foster parents or whatever when they apply for it to be foster parents. They have to go through in real detail every boyfriend, every breakup, every, you know, these reeling, you know, it's quite traumatic for them, I think, you know, but it's a similar sort of thing of having to uncover things. But for life insurance, it just seems. It's just, in, it's a yeah. funny, it's just a strange thing because uh, the reason I. The reason I say I have depression is because when I was younger, I felt so isolated because no one mm. talked about it. And I just don't want anyone to ever feel that isolated. Yeah, it's so you taboo. Know. It's more taboo than sex, isn't it? Often mental Oh, yeah, health. absolutely. It's like, yeah, it's weird. You know, and it is isolating because you you don't realise that people are actually feeling exactly the same things, the same feelings, you know, about the same things as you. You think it's a completely odd feeling that you've got, you know, and actually something you should hide and mask and smile through. Did you find it cathartic, though, especially talking about family issues when you did the shows? When I did the show, I did find it cathartic to see the response. I did. The, I found it really cathartic as well because I invited a lot of, like, drug addict parents who'd lost their, through charities. I invited a lot of kids who'd been in, care, well, care leavers, so adult. I found that really cathartic, you know, mm-hmm. to see them... Yeah connecting with the show and getting something from it. So not so much the kind of 
I'm saying it for the first time because obviously eight shows in or whatever, you're not saying it. But you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like that being able to connect it to other people and know that actually that connection will have been really positive for them. You know, especially with like being a curlever because what happens is you get pushed into a category you're either going to be a hero or you're some sort of devil problem child. So what happens to a lot of curlevers is they'll try and do the hero thing and then they won't be honest that some days they've, you know, actually just got really pissed on their own and, you know, cried because they're freaked out in this new little flat that they've got in Bury or whatever. And actually doing that show, I think I get allowed them to go, actually, you can be freaked out on a Monday and really productive on a Tuesday. You don't have to be, you know, problem child or hero. You can actually be a bit of both. So I think creating that nuance, yes. I find really cathartic for, for other people that I wish I'd had known that nuance, you know, when I was in my early mm. 20s and really trying to prove I was not going to be like my mum and I was going to be great and I was going to be great and all that pressure that I put on myself. And actually, if I'd have known, I could just, you know, be honest that actually sometimes I do find things a bit difficult and I do get a bit depressed or, you know, I do drink too much or I do, you know, all those things that actually you can do that and be a productive mm -hmm. person. I, you know. I don't get me wrong, I think me being the way I am and an anxious person makes mm. me a better person. Yeah. I think I care deeply for people I care about. Yeah. What I care about what people think about me in a positive way, not in a needy yeah. way. And I think... It, I accepted who I was. Yeah. I may not still be as kind as I should be, but I think it makes me a better person to be this anxious. I think it probably does. It is, you know, and it probably makes you work better. Makes me work you know? harder, certainly. Yeah, me too. It's a, that's the other side of it, isn't it? You really put a lot of pressure on yourself. You know? Yeah. Got to be means, good. But know? it means that I work my arse off. Yeah, you it know? does. And if you harness those things, it's really powerful and brilliant. Uh -huh. It's just if it ever tipples off, it's, and it's like having those strategies in place, isn't it? And being practical, you know, yes. I find really helps. Yes. Like, you know, not drinking coffee when I'm already awake. <laughs> you know, only have a coffee if I'm knackered because otherwise I'll be like spud from train spotting. <laughs> you know, that's no good, is it? You know, or just, you know, making myself read a book. Yeah. Because it's quite hard to read when you get yourself in concentration you know, to me. That's actually yeah. why I like podcasts. Yeah, podcasts are good Because podcasts are really great if I'm very tense. Yeah. Because they can be on in the background, I can listen, I can focus, I can, you know. Yeah. I, I think that podcasts are to me one of the greatest things I've found in my life. Yeah. Because they're they just very, very useful and if I can't sleep I'll put a nice gentle one on in the background and yeah, they're the, great. The New York shorts, you know the New Yorker? Yes. They do short story one where a writer will read another short story, and I love them. It's, you know, got that bedtime feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talk very calmly, and then they read a lovely short story. And Yeah, that's perfect one, actually. Yeah. Just before we finish, Sophie, mm -hmm. I always like to give the person that I'm talking to the final word to say whatever they want to say. So this will be listened to by... I, I, I don't think there's a particular type yeah. of person that's listening to this, so you can... Say what you like about depression, about comedy, whatever you want to. What would I say? I suppose it's just good to know that you're not on your own with it, I suppose. And, and I suppose mental health, you know, for me, if I'd have accepted earlier, you know, that actually just, you know, I wasn't this perfect, balanced person and I wasn't some sort of hero that had to be well all the time and actually felt able to talk to people, that would have been a better thing. Really, the pressure we sometimes put on ourselves. Yeah, exactly as you say. I never wanted to show weakness. Yes, it's that and, and vulnerability. Yeah, like well, Brené Brown does that whole 
uh, TED Talks called The Power of Vulnerability, which I think is amazing, mm-hmm. about allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And, you know, that podcast actually was one of the things that changed my whole perspective a few really? years ago when I was about 21. Mm-hmm. You know, that and therapy and exit strategies, I think, are what really helped me. You know, just knowing what I need to stay well. You know, yes. it's the real key, isn't it? And knowing what makes me unwell. Yeah. Toxic yeah. people, yeah. negative people. Oh, I can't. I can yep. I cannot be around them. No. Because it makes me... You take it, it on. It, I'm take, the same. Yeah, and if yeah. I'm around lots of negative people, I start to feel more negative about mm. everything. It's not that I like to be around really weird, happy, clappy people all the time, but it's just if someone constantly presents problems... Yeah, constant problems, constant that I can't. Or just a slightly toxic energy, or a bitchy, ruthless, yes. careerist energy. Yes. I can't. It makes me freak out. Yes, because comedy is already quite a psychotic environment, you know, and it can be very careerist. Yeah, if you get that vibe off somebody, I just it really freaks me out. Hope you, you didn't know. get that vibe off me in this basement oh. <laughs> today, Sophie. Well, slightly actually, my career's on it. fire, Sophie. Look <laughs> at us. Yeah, it's going well in this <laughs> hot little booth. <laughs> in a hot booth talking yeah. about depression. It's exciting stuff, isn't it? In well, Soho. One day, Sophie, if you've been going for 13 years like I have, you could be in a cupboard like this talking to someone about oh, mental health. I look forward health. to it. That sounds good. Fingers crossed, Sophie. <laughs> I really hope you're not. Uh, thanks, Sophie. It's been a delight. Oh, thank you very much thanks, for having darling. them. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you download your podcast from, and then you'll automatically get next week's episode. Next week, I'll be talking to Jack Rook. I spent numerous weeks in bed watching, you know, the absolute worst ITV daytime programming you can. I can name every single loose woman from about 2008 to 2011. Have you been asked to go on Celebrity Mastermind? <laughs> Imagine that that was your specialist subject. Loose women from the time I became depressed to now. <laughs> If you like the show, do leave us a review as that will help other people find it too. And if you want to get in touch, then you can email mrsbrightside at bbc.co.uk. And finally, we know this podcast talks about things that might have affected you or someone you know personally. If that's the case and you'd like some further info, head to the Mrs Brightside page on the BBC website and we'll put up some links to places you might find useful. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, Calman out. 